0: So, what is your relationship with money? Are you close friends? Does money always show up when you need it and stand with you in all the difficult times? Is your relationship with money a volatile one? Always on again, off again? At times money seems to be your best of friends and at other times it disappears when you need it most. Do you wish you were friends with money, but it always seems to avoid you and hang out with other people? Do you find yourself obsessed with money, like a high school crush? Or, maybe it seems that it's a little bit out of your league, unattainable, so you pretend not to care, but secretly you wish you would pay more attention to you, that it would notice you. Does your relationship with money more often bring you joy and fulfillment, or anxiety, fear, and strife? Is your relationship with money a source of pride or shame and worry? I had to admit at one point that, uh, that predominantly my relationship with money uh, was one of shame. And I didn't really realize this until, until I was an adult and married. I didn't have much of a relationship uh, with money uh, when I was younger. Uh, we didn't have much of it, and my parents did a good job of using what we had uh, to make sure our needs were met. Um, and of course I had nothing uh, in college, but when uh when, when Brandy and I got married and, and all of a sudden were, you know, two people, two jobs, no kids, and we were I mean we were living large. It was it was it was awesome. Uh, we had uh, we had like the ability to buy Totino's pizzas anytime we want, even though they'd raise the price to dollar nineteen, and uh, and it was just—I mean, those were the those were the salad days uh, for us, the glory days. And then uh, and then there came a time when when we had two kids and uh, and one income, and we did not uh, as wonderful as that transition was, in every way, uh, it was not a wonderful transition financially. We did not adjust well to the implications. Of that, and there came a time uh, when, uh, when I, I'm, you know, the one who's paying the bills and kind of watching this this gradual descent, this down into the right trajectory for for our financial world. Um, and you know, I, I drop hints to Brandy from time to time. You know we you know we we need to you know watch our spending a bit here and there. and and uh, and yet she seemed to just continue to exorbitantly spend money on things like food for our kids and clothes. and uh, and and, uh, and 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 our financial situation kept getting worse, and she didn't recognize this vicious cycle we're in of like feeding our children and them growing and them needing more clothes. and And so, finally, I sat her down uh, one evening, and, uh, and I just and I laid it all out for her and and showed her where we were financially. And I realized and it ended up being one of the most unifying conversations uh, that, that we'd ever had. And I realized that all this time I had been carrying the shame about where we were financially and had not been clear with her because somehow I had attached a sense of, of value and worth in my ability uh, to provide and to not have to say, no, we can't afford that at this time. Uh, and so I had not said those things in, in, in a way that, that had created um, disunity accidentally um, in, in our marriage. And so, and so to her credit, when we sat down and we, and we had this conversation, And after kind of like swallowing her and be like, okay, she said, okay, I'm in, I'm in for whatever. And and we braced ourselves uh, for what felt like it was going to be, you know, five years of digging ourselves um, out of the financial hole we're in. But for me to realize that predominantly my relationship with money was one of shame was a sobering thing for me. My guess is that whatever your relationship with money, it's not a relationship of complete indifference, Money, whether you have it or not, is never naturally neutral territory for us. Our relationship with money affects our view of worth. Money can be a powerful measure of our value and the value we add to the world through our work. Money can be the source for how we feel safe, how we feel secure as we contemplate the future. Money and the things it can do for us, though just a thing, can vie for every bit of our focus and attention. Our relationship with money, in fact, can be the most powerful and influential relationship in our everyday life. Our relationship with money can be the most powerful and influential relationship in our everyday life. So, it should not be a surprise, then, that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, had opinions and instructions about our relationship with money. Shortly after his instructions on prayer, where he reminds us to turn to God for our daily provision, and I think not coincidentally, before addressing the the idea of worry, Jesus has the following to say, and this is in Matthew chapter 6, you can follow along uh, in your Bible, I'm reading from, from verses 19 through 24, it's also on your bulletin. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is dark. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, some of us, including myself, will be tempted to check out midway in verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Check. I've got that. I've nailed it. I have not stored up anything of any value on earth. (laughs) I may struggle with obedience in other ways, but I've really nailed this one. So good luck with your diverse investment portfolio and keeping it safe from moths, rich people. There was actually there, there was a time earlier this year, no kidding, uh, when, when one of my 13-year-olds, my, my oldest son, uh, had a greater net worth uh, than I had at the exact same time. And, and, uh, and to my shame, to my, embar- not shame, to my embarrassment, uh, on Wednesday when I was, when I was previewing this, this message with uh, coworkers and friends, uh, and we were talking about it afterwards, uh, one of my friends was like, well, I don't think you know what net, net worth means. You probably meant to say, you know, available cash. And I was like, no, I know what net worth means. Uh, and, and, then, <laughs> and then another one was like, oh, well, then you, you must have meant, surely you must have meant when you were 13, the, like at the same age you didn't know. And I was like, no, no, it's kind of like on that day in March. Uh, and, uh, and then another friend was like surely you must have something of value what about your truck and I was like well it gave my truck to God but that's not the point I'm not exaggerating and I don't want to talk about this more the, 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 rea- the reality is that, that for me if Jesus' instructions ended with don't just, just don't store up treasure then I'd be doing pretty well as would 95% of our world that you and I are actually wealthier than but Jesus didn't stop with don't He didn't advocate for merely indifference. Rather, he invites a right understanding of what money, treasure, can actually do, and he gives us a larger, more compelling vision for how to pursue the things of greatest value in this world and in the world to come. His juxtaposition of the treasures of this world, which which always fade and are never certain, and the treasures of heaven, which never fade and are part of an eternal reward, is both a clear statement on the position we should take towards money, and an invitation to use money, the thing the world that that would otherwise capture our hearts. Use that to invest in, to exchange for, the currency of heaven. In other words, he is both saying, don't let money be the thing that defines your life, but rather let your life be defined by the things God cares about, and he is saying, use the thing the world says matters most, and invest in and influence the things that God says matters most. We are not merely to reject one false treasure and seek another truer treasure, but we are also to use the lesser treasure to accumulate the greater. Jesus isn't instructing passivity or indifference towards money. Rather, he is inviting active engagement with the treasure of this world, but at the same time reminding us that the treasure of this world is not an end in and of itself but it's rather a means. In its rightful place, money is a tool. It's a very powerful tool, but it's a tool nonetheless. I mentioned um, earlier this year, uh, that uh, that I surrendered uh, my truck to God, I realized that I was uh, I was feeling entitled to it, and, and so I said, God, if you want if you want to take it, and we kind of laid out some conditions uh, for that, and uh, and so ever since then, you know, that was the beginning of this year. So all this year, I've been driving uh, a- around my truck, and every day I'm just waiting. I-, I feel like Abraham walking up the mountain with Isaac, just waiting for God to to demand my truck of me, and uh, and about a month ago, I was uh, I-, I was uh, it was it was Friday afternoon, and I was determined uh, to to get the boat on the water and I asked Brandy if she wanted to go on a you know romantic boat ride uh, on the St. John's River and, and our youngest Ashaloo uh, offered to chaperone which I was just thrilled about and uh, and so we go out uh, we go out to launch the boat and uh, and and I'm backing the boat uh, in, into the water you know driving my truck and it's a beautiful day and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm backing my my and my truck into the water, the, the, the boat starts to float off the trailer uh, and, I, and I go and hit the brakes to, uh, to pull out of the water and the brake pedal just goes right to the floor and my truck just keeps rolling into the St. John's River. And now I, I love my truck. It's like a 1966, pretty but not too pretty, a beast of a truck that like has horrible gas mileage and and uh, and is awful in almost every way. And it's everything a truck ought to be. And 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 I'm I'm sitting here rolling back into the river, just just seeing you know my, this 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 beautiful thing that I've loved and cherished, uh, just about to drown in, in the water. And Brandy at the at this time is standing on the dock, and she's thinking to herself like this is how God's going to take his truck. I don't know why he's going to take it this way, but this is how God's going to take his truck. And so, and I, I don't know, in the eternity that lasted about three seconds, I did everything. I, of course, pulled the emergency brake. At one point, I, re- I reach out the window, and I'm holding on to the dock, uh, thinking somehow I can hold a 4,000-pound truck uh, from, from rolling into the river. And long story short, uh, I managed to stop the truck, uh, and then in, in kind of adrenaline-filled desperation, uh, you know, came roaring out of the water, boat, trailer, truck, the whole deal, and I'm come flying up the ramp and I have this victory, like, yeah, and then I realize I still don't have brakes and there's a swamp on the other side of the boat ramp. And so I'm like, yeah, no, and like going towards the swamp and you know, driving serpentine to try to eat up momentum. And finally stopped the truck just shy of the swamp and and eventually got it home. But in all of this, I realized one of the other incredible, invaluable attributes of my truck, and that is that it often gives me reasons to buy new tools. See, you don't buy buy a tool for no reason. You don't buy a tool just to have the tool, uh, although I would like to. My discipline has always been, because tools are meant to be used, they're not an end in and of themselves, you buy a tool when you need it. And I've been able to buy a couple new tools for this. My favorite is this thing that makes uh, this tool that makes uh, brake lines because I've decided to, you know, upgrade the whole braking system to one that's 40 years old rather than 55 years old. And uh, and so this 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 tool looks like a scientific instrument slash medieval, you know, confession extractor, uh, and it and it shapes brake lines uh, to exactly the way you want them. But I've been learning to use it. The reality is when I'm done uh, with this project and hopefully my truck is is much safer. Uh, The the, the tool will go on the shelf, and I won't think about it again until I need it. What makes money such a powerful and potentially dangerous tool is that however we put money to work, it's always at work on us. Remember that money is not naturally neutral territory for us. With any other tool, you use it when you need it, and then you put it on the shelf. And don't think about it until you need it again. With money, even when you put it on the shelf we cannot help but think about it. We go check on it, make sure that no moths or vermin are eating it away. We peek to make sure that it's safely stored so that it cannot be stolen. We count it to make sure we have enough and then we worry that we don't. Money does not allow us to easily engage with it with an attitude of indifference. as purely a tool. Money is more often an emotional thing for us. It's part of what gives it its power. The reality that Jesus is emphatically identifying is that money, what we treasure, is ultimately a matter of the heart. Our hearts, like a doe-eyed student in love, follow around our treasure and care about every little thing it does. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It is an an unambiguous statement in verse 21 that he further explains in 22 and 23 with a deeply nuanced statement about eyes and lamps. And basically what he means is our eyes, where we focus, are connected to our hearts in the same way that where we focus is a reflection of our hearts. Simply put, our treasure draws our focus and our focus shapes our hearts. Now, ultimately, this is really good news. It reminds us that not everything spiritual is mysterious. It can be so easy in our everyday lives to feel like we're straddling two seemingly disparate worlds. The world we live in and the spiritual world, we don't always see the two as interconnected or having influence on each other. And when we live like that, we default to perceiving the spiritual as deeply shrouded in mystery and long to find practicality in our spiritual lives that is akin to the law of cause and effect in our tangible world. When we separate the spiritual from the material, we, for example might pine away longing to hear from God and neglect the physical, tangible, and very practical discipline of reading God's word. Dallas Willard, in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, addresses the reality that our physical beings and the physical world we live in are not so separate from the spiritual world as a casual observer might think. Rather, our intentional actions, which he calls disciplines, have a powerful effect on our spirits, on our hearts. Jesus, in this instruction, is making the same point just a couple of thousand years before Dallas Willard. He's giving us a clear, practical, and tangible path for how to grow our hearts, our spirits, in affection for the things that God cares about most. Where you place your treasure will draw the attention and affection of your heart. I would venture to say, and it's been my experience, that one of the most powerful discipleship tools we have at our disposal, apart from God's word, is in our wallets. If we want to truly care about something, if I want to truly care about something that I know God values, I can invest in it. And as I do that, I'll be training my heart, like a muscle, to strengthen itself in that area. In the same way, as I'm doing that, as I'm growing my heart to care about the things that God cares about, by investing the, my worldly treasure, the things that the world says matters most in heavenly treasure, I train my heart to trust, not in the temporary promises of this world, but in the permanent and trustworthy promises of my Creator. When we take the thing the world says matters most, that would otherwise be an end unto itself, and use it instead as a tool to train our hearts, It's as powerful as it is practical. As Hunter, our first senior pastor used to say it this way. He said often the most spiritual thing we can do is is also the most practical thing we can do. Often the most spiritual thing we can do is also the most practical thing we can do. If you want to value the things God values then give what you would otherwise value to the things he cares about, to the things he values. Exchange the currency of this world for the currency of heaven. Now, that's not easy to do. And what is right for you may depend on what your default relationship with money is. For some, if your default relationship, if your relationship with money is characterized by worry in the present, maybe you never have enough and there's deep insecurity as a result. If the general stats uh, 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 in our world, in our context are true of us in this room, then the majority of us are one paycheck away from financial disaster. and We may hate money as a result, but we cannot deny that it has a controlling interest in the focus of our hearts. If that's you, and you're not engaging in a basic discipline of tithe, 10% of earned income given to God, then I would encourage you to start there. Tithe is like the couch-to-5K equivalent of training our hearts to trust God and to care about the things He cares about. It's not an easy start. It feels like you're going to die, but it gets you moving in the right direction. And over time, it becomes less painful, less exhausting, and more rewarding. If you find yourself always worrying about money, actively cultivate trust in God by giving Him what He asks and trusting Him to provide. Now that won't necessarily sort out everything in your life and and there are other practical things you can do. In January, we'll be starting another round of financial peace uh, university courses, so maybe you can just decide now that that will be your New Year's resolution and sign up for that. But don't just learn, actually trust God. Actually engage in him with the tithe and see how he provides for you. For others, your relationship with money isn't worrisome. Rather, it's quite rewarding. Money likes you. It hangs around you quite often, it makes you look good. It tells you you're awesome and that you matter. You may even give money away. You may give a lot away, and that's okay because even in giving it away, it makes you look good. If that's you, then maybe you need to take a break for a while. Get some distance from money so you can break the hold it has on your identity and your sense of worth. Better yet, maybe in creating distance, you put money to work, secretly, of course, so that it doesn't make you look good, but put it to work on something God really cares about. Put it to work on behalf of the most vulnerable in our world and in our city. Take the thing that, that, that for you would, 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 would be the definition of your worth and for others would award their sense of worth and recognize their value in them in how you give. And don't just give your, your financial resources. Give, your, give, give yourself and see what God does. See what God does in your heart when you, when you, when you t- create distance from the thing that would, that would have a hold on your value. You use it to value others. See how God changes your view of others and see how God changes the view of yourself. How much more secure you feel in who you are when your identity is rooted in him. There are also those for whom your relationship with money isn't so much about present provision or self-worth it's about the promise of a future. For you, you'll gladly go without now so you can have a sense of security for the future. There may be there, there's so many variables in your life and so many things that, 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 that could threaten. And your relationship with money is about eliminating variables and trusting that when the unexpected happens, money can make the bad better and the good gooder. If pressed, you'd have to admit that your relationship with money is about guaranteeing your future. If someone asked you, How's your future looking? And you thought first about your savings rather than your Savior, that may be you. And you may need to take radical moves to take a break from your dependence on money for security and for the vision for your life, so you can all actively cultivate dependence on God and the future that He has for you. It may be that God wants you to surrender it all to Him, to exchange the currency of this world and and, and the fragile future it offers. And trust that God cares more about your life and your future. And he'll provide for you better than you ever could as you follow him. There's uh, there's uh, uh, an event um, called Journey of Generosity. This is actually the event I went to where God uh, convicted me about my my truck and asked me to surrender it to Him. Uh, but it's it's this is this weekend event that a number of couples uh, at Summit um, will be taking will be participating in um, in the fall and will be offering again in the spring. It's just a remarkable opportunity to have, have conversations with other folks about having a vision for your life uh, that goes beyond uh, the resources that you make. And they tell some amazing stories uh, of folks who have who have. Read radically and inspiringly trusted God um, with, with their resources. And even when they couldn't stop the money coming in, uh, they, they cultivated such habits of generosity um, that, that, uh, that, that they were able to, to have this, these amazing visions for what God would do for their life. It was really inspiring. And not one of those people who radically committed uh, to have a vision for their future, a vision for how their life would look, uh, n- none of them who, who trusted God in that ever felt like they missed out ever felt like they had less in the end, that they were less fulfilled, less rewarded, and less secure in their future. If you'd be interested in doing one of those events, if you're wondering what it would look like uh, to to trust God um, for your future in that, let us know and we'll make sure you get invited to the next ones. Whatever those steps are, whatever those steps you take, they're scary. They're never easy. We need to remember that we're not naturally indifferent about money. So it would stand to reason that changing our relationship with money would be an issue of the heart. It would be a question of what we really value and who we really trust in. I uh, definitively answered that question, fought that battle, had that struggle uh, when I was in college. It was my, my last semester of college. Um, I, I just spent uh, my last dime uh, on an engagement ring for Brandy because I had my priorities right, uh, and I had nothing left to pay for my last uh, semester of college. I had uh, I'd, I'd exhausted all my student loans. I um, I had... Uh, I'd, I'd been working uh, to pay for my previous semester at a, at a grocery store that had the added benefit of I was, uh, could eat the, uh, like the expired bread and, and, and meat, uh, and that was like supplementing my, uh, my, my diet, which was awesome and healthy. And, uh, and the, only, the only cash that I had in my possession was money that I had set aside uh, from that job uh, for, for my tithe. And so here I am last semester of college and going to be married uh, and, uh, and you know, living on expired meat and, and a pile of, of money on my desk that, that I had set aside as tithe. But setting aside, we didn't, we'd, we'd, we'd tried a bunch of churches uh, in, uh, in the area we lived and It had been a difficult thing, so I didn't have a church I was giving to. So I just had this money accrued. And honestly, it wasn't all uh, that, I, that I owed in the tithe, but it was all that I had left. And, and uh, what I owed for tuition was something like $5,600. What I had on the, on the table in front of me was like $248 in change. It was nothing compared to, um, to the need, but it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me to give that up. It was a sliver of what I needed to be able to, to pay tuition. And it was all I had. But for me, it represented hope. Maybe I'd you know, win a bunch of money playing Bolita or something like that. But, but, I, but, I, but I, I sat there. And I was like, God, do you really want this? I'm, I'm going to school so I can be in ministry. Maybe, get me, you know, maybe investing in, in my education is like giving it to you. And he's like, no, you're, you're ridiculous. And, and, and it, was, it was the most visceral spiritual battle that I'd had to that point in my life. I had this pile of money, including all the change I could find in my apartment there. And I was like, God, do you want it? he said, yes. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. Three times I asked him, and three times as clearly as he needed to, he said, yes, I want you to trust me with this. So I talked to Brandy, and we, we decided that she would con- contribute a little bit, and we would pay for um, a year of sponsorship for a child I'd seen like the compassion international flyers uh, in the cafeteria at school or something like that and uh, and so we decided okay we're gonna we're, we're gonna you know prepay for a year and then hopefully at that point we'll be married and be able to continue, continue the sponsorship so I filled out the little paperwork I stuffed all this money and change uh, in the envelope and I walked up to the school post office you know and uh, and at this point you know I'm waiting for like the Taylor University secret police to jump out and kick me off campus and I was wondering have they ever kicked anyone else out of school for not being able to Pay tuition, and, and I and I walked up in the in the post office uh, and I and I dropped the envelope um, in in the in the outgoing mailbox and I thought, well, this is it, this is it. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this is it, and uh, and I felt peace in the decision, but I was so unsure of my future. I thought maybe I'm going to end up living in a van down by the river, and while that would be near nirvana for me, uh, it was not not necessarily what what my future bride wanted, and so. While I'm in the post office, I open up my uh, little post office box, and I see an official letter uh, from Taylor University. And I was like, oh, I'm like this is it. And I open the letter, and I read it. And it's an award notification for a scholarship that I did not know that I was in the running for. And I'm reading this in disbelief, and I see that I've just been awarded a scholarship for $5,600, exactly what I owed for the remaining semester. And, and, uh, and uh, as I read, like, the details of it, because I hadn't applied for anything, uh, I found out that the reason I got this scholarship was because I was the poorest student uh, at Taylor University. And I was like, yes, I've never been so happy uh, to be poor. They had this huge banquet. I got to eat real food, freshly prepared, and, and it was an amazing thing. And I, I'll tell you, I have not questioned whether or not I can trust God ever since. Because he asked me to trust him with what little I had, and he took care of me. And he's done that again and again in our lives ever since. It's not an easy battle to fight, but it's worth it. It's worth it when you win. I don't know how much you should give. I don't know what it'll look like. We had one guy uh, early on in Summit when we were trying to figure out how to purchase uh, Summit's original building who was speaking to a, to, to a room of friends and they were asking, well, how much should we give? How much should we give? And, and, uh, and we couldn't really answer. So he, you know, he's just a, a volunteer at the church, uh, but he just, said, he just said, you should give enough that your palms sweat a little bit when you're writing the check. I thought that was such a good image for the type of generosity we're called to. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid it's only a safe rule to give more than we can spare. He goes on to say if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. I was meeting with a, a guy last week who's, who goes here, and we were just meeting just to get to know each other. But we ended up uh, talking uh, and shared some mutual friends. And in the process, uh, we began talking about Africa Windmill Project. And, and he got excited about the work that Africa Windmill Project is doing. And so in a follow-up email, uh, he, he said one of the most interesting and, and encouraging things. He said, you know, of course, he made a commitment uh, to, to help fund uh, new windmills for Africa Windmill Project. But the way he said it was so encouraging. He said, he said I know I can do this much. And he made it in a commitment that was, that was well beyond uh, what the immediate need was. He's like, but I'm going to ask God if he wants me to do more. And I thought, what a great posture. This person who, who's at a place in life where, where he recognizes God is going to be a security for the future. And he doesn't just give what he knows he can give, but he knows that God wants him to give more. So he's going to take that question to God and be obedient to however he answers. The battle of generosity, the battle of trusting the treasure of this world to the one who made us is a powerful battle, but there's a lot at stake. Jesus concludes this text where he reminds us that there's greater treasure in him than the, than the world could ever offer. And then in verse 21, he, say, he, he, he says um, that, that what we do with treasure is a means to train our hearts and to care about the things that God treasures most. And he goes on, And 22 and 23, to remind us that there's a treasure-focused heart connection that we need to take very seriously. And in all of that, he concludes in verse 24 with a final thought. He indicates what is at stake with how we view the treasures of this world. He knows that money ultimately would be our master. It would meet our needs, define our value, safeguard our future. And those are not all empty promises. If we let money be our master... It can meet our needs. It can shape our identity. And it can, for a time, safeguard our future. Money is not simply a paper master full of false promises. That's another reason why it's so powerful. However, none, none of the mastery we would give money would hold a candle to all we gain when we give the mastery of our lives to the one who created us. Our relationship with money is always one-sided. And the mastery we give it is always met with indifference on its part. Money didn't make you. It doesn't love you. It won't make plans for your life that are bigger and better than anything you could make on your own. Money is a passive and limited power. It cannot create. It can only move pieces, the pieces on the board of your lives. Whereas there is one whose power is active and limitless, who created the very board on which our lives in this world play out. Ultimately, when we make money our master, we make it our treasure. However, when we give God the mastery of our lives, we are reminded that in Christ, He made us His treasure. He made us His treasure. He made us the currency of heaven. Our God cares about us, loves us, and wants good for our lives. And he's worth trusting in with the meager things of this world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you. Grateful that you have and will, and will for eternity provide more than this world could ever offer it is so alluring and tempting to follow the things the world says will fill us up even though we've been disappointed again and again. I pray for each person in this room, including myself, that you'll give us the courage and perspective to trust you. That we won't rest in what we have but that we'll actively and open-handedly steward the resources that you have given us for your good and your purposes in the world and trust that you will do the same in our lives. I pray for every person who dares to trust you a, 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 as a result of what they've heard in this time, that you'll reward them greatly, that they, will, uh, that, they will, that they will sense your presence and your purposes and your planning and your involvement in their lives, your provision for them, that their moves to trust you as they do it will be one of the biggest adventures that they've ever been on. I know it's been in my life, and I pray you'll continue to give me the courage to do that in the years ahead. And pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.